of Utah and Grand County and San Juan. They dig the yellow stuff that makes the atom bomb. They do the uranium miners boogie. The uranium miners boogie. It's the uranium miners boogie. They dig digging all day long. You are listening to Men in Lead Aprons. Everything you might want to know about radiation, the good, the bad, and the not yet known. This is a regular podcast from the Columbia University Center for Radiological Research from the heart of New York City. And here are your hosts, Dr. Eric Hall and Dr. David Brenner. Hello and welcome back to Men in Lead Aprons, a series of podcasts from the Center for Radiological Research at Columbia University in New York City. Uh, This is Episode 5, and today we will discuss some issues involving breast cancer, which arose from the previous podcast on mammography. This continues to be a subject much in the news. My name is Eric Hall, and for more than 20 years I was director of the Center for Radiological Research. So let me introduce my fellow man in a lead apron, David Brenner who is the current director of the Center for Radiological Research. Uh, Good morning, David. Are you ready to discuss the diagnosis and treatment of breast cancer? Uh, Good morning, Eric. And, of course, uh, breast breast cancer and its uh, diagnosis are really important subjects for for women of all ages, um, particularly for women with a family history of breast cancer and particularly for women with a genetic predisposition to breast cancer. So today we welcome back a special guest with expertise in the treatment of breast cancer, Dr. Eileen Connolly, attending physician in Presbyterian Hospital and the head of the breast service in the Department of Radiation Oncology at Columbia University Medical Center. Good morning, Eileen. And good morning, Eric, and good morning, David. So, Eileen, you spend much of your professional life dealing with breast cancer patients. Can you please summarize for us the options available for the treatment of breast cancer. Okay, to summarize the option for treatment of breast cancer, this is a really quite a large topic, but I'll focus on, you know, what the treatment options are regarding radiation. And to do that, you really have to think about breast cancer more by stage because that's going to affect what the treatment options are regarding chemotherapy, whether you need it or not, as well as the surgical options. So, Eileen, what are the stages of breast cancer? You think of breast cancer as early stage, which includes precancer, which would be DCIS, so stage zero. And then you have the early invasive disease, which would be stage one, and stage two, though node negative. And then once you're node positive disease, then you really become, uh, it's either a 2B or stage three. And there you're looking at more multimodality therapy. So let's start with early-stage breast cancer. What are the treatment options? Uh, Is this for women with DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ? So first I'll go over kind of what the general options are that we give patients with early-stage disease. So these are patients with DCIS or stage 1, really, or small invasive disease uh, within the breast. And primarily those are managed with surgery up front, which is generally going to be a lumpectomy for most women. There are incidences where you do require more aggressive surgical approach. Those might be women with DCIS that have extensive DCS throughout the breast and, mes- and a lumpectomy is not feasible, 
or women with genetic um, risk factors such as BRCA1 or 2 who choose to go with a more ag aggressive surgical approach, which would again be mastectomy. But for majority of women, they will have a lumpectomy which means they're having breast conservation. And really for these women, the role of radiation, it's a requirement for breast conserving uh, surgery. Yes, uh, I think it's well established that uh, lumpectomy is not enough. You need added radiation therapy to get rid of those few cancer cells that might get missed by the surgery. So how is this radiation treatment done? Uh, this had traditionally been given over a five to six and a half week period using standard fractionation. So for DCIS, it would be five weeks. For invasive disease, you would have whole breast for five weeks followed by a boost at the lumpectomy site for an additional week to um, seven or eight days. So it ends up being about six and a half weeks. I gather though that nowadays, shorter radiation treatments are an option, uh, so-called hypofractionation. Uh, this is significantly shortened uh, because of the hypofractionated studies that have been done in Canada as well as the UK comparing short course versus long course whole breast radiation uh, showing comparable outcomes and actually lower side effects so in fact that's become the new standard so for whole breast radiation the standard as per NCC and guidelines and what we offer here it's 16 treatments for the entire breast and then that can be followed by a boost which would be an additional five days. And how actually is the radiation therapy treatment done? Uh, for the majority of women, that's done in the prone position, laying on your stomach. This allows us to treat the entire breast, but minimize any dose to organs we want to avoid, like the heart and lungs. And, and this is the majority of women that we treat here. I gather there's another radiotherapy option for early stage disease, which is not to treat the whole breast, but rather to treat only the lumpectomy bed that is the region in the breast right around the lumpectomy, so-called partial breast irradiation. This is the concept that for most invasive, early invasive disease, if you have a recurrence, it's likely to happen at the lumpectomy bed. Therefore, where you really need to give radiation is just at the lumpectomy bed. This is not always true. There's some breast cancers like triple negative breast cancer or HER2 that have a slightly higher risk elsewhere within the breast. But for most early stage breast cancers, it seems that partial breast radiotherapy is likely to be a good option. Have there been studies comparing the outcome of whole breast radiotherapy with partial breast? Um, there's less long-term data showing that this is comparable to whole breast, but there has been a prospective randomized trial. Uh, it hasn't been reported yet, and there have been many um, single institution series that have looked at this. So how is this partial breast radiotherapy actually done? The technique by which you give partial breast, there's many different ways to do this. Um, it can be done by external beam, uh, similar to how we treat the whole breast, except given over five treatments over a two-week period, so every other day. In addition, there's brachytherapy approaches, meaning mammocyte is the ter uh, technique, essentially a balloon catheter is placed into the lumpectomy bed at the time of surgery, and then the patient is treated the following week over a five-treatment fractionation course. And this is done as an outpatient, after which the balloon catheter is removed and treatment is done. So that really summarizes kind of the multitude of options that exist for low-risk disease, and it's really individualized depending on uh, the features of the patient's individual breast cancer, her age, size of her breasts, et cetera. So it's, it's more nuanced and definitely needs to be discussed individually.
And what about women with more advanced breast cancer? Um, for women with more advanced disease, these women are typically going to get upfront chemotherapy. So really uh, what happens in terms with radiation, it ultimately depends on the disease response to chemotherapy and what surgery is required. If they have locally advanced disease, even after chemotherapy, they'll most likely get a mastectomy and then we'll need radiation depending on the final pathology features. So really now what we're talking about is risk of nodal disease, so more local regional. And again, it's very individualized. But in general, for women with advanced breast cancer, you normally treat with radiotherapy a region that is larger than the breast. I think it's called more comprehensive radiation. We're giving more comprehensive radiation, but typically for these women, we're treating the chest wall or the breast, and then we're also treating the draining lymph nodes, which is the axillary, supraclavicular, and internal mammary lymph nodes. Um, and this course is much longer. It's about five to six weeks, typically. With this range of treatment options available, can you explain to us the benefits and advantages that a patient enjoys from an early diagnosis of the disease, most likely by mammography, why is early diagnosis so important? So given all of this information, obviously the benefits of early diagnosis is that uh, you're much more likely to have a breast-conserving surgery as well as not need nodal regional irradiation, meaning that we're only treating the breast. So the advantages of this is that we're sparing more of the normal tissue exposure to radiation. So obviously early diagnosis can have a big impact in the sense that the amount of treatment that you need to effectively treat the disease is much less. David, do you have anything to add to the discussion of the treatment of breast cancer? Uh, for example, I think you hinted in our previous podcast of a new approach to avoiding second breast cancers. So I did indeed, Eric. And uh, so let me give you a little background to, uh, to that story. So it's, it's well known that women who get breast cancer are prone to getting breast cancer. And really what that what the implication of that is that so a woman who has a, a woman who has a first breast cancer is actually at a significantly higher risk than average for some time in the future getting another breast cancer in in the other breast really what we're looking for are ways to avoid that so in fact there are drugs available and chemopreventive drugs like uh, tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors uh, which are designed to do just that, to try and reduce the risk of a second breast cancer. Though, in fact, these uh, chemopreventive drugs uh, really only work for estrogen receptor-positive primary breast tumors and don't work for negative receptor tumors. What we're trying to do is to find an alternate uh, approach to trying to reduce the risk of a second breast cancer in a woman who has a first breast cancer. So what we believe is happening is that uh, women with breast cancer actually have a, a certain number of premalignant cells already existing in the other breast. And it's these premalignant cells which are not quite tumorous at this point, but sometime in the future uh, will become so, that are the problem. And so what we'd like to try and do is eliminate these pre-malignant breast cells at the time of treating the primary breast tumor and so reduce the risk in the, uh, the other breast. And the way we're thinking of trying to do this is a technique called prophylactic 
mammary irradiation. So prophylactic means preventative. So the idea is at the same time as a woman is getting radiation therapy for the breast tumor uh, that she actually has at the moment, she would be given a much lower dose of radiation to the other breast, but enough of a radiation dose so that we can kill the few pre-malignant tumor cells that are existing in the other breast of a woman with breast cancer. And we think with this technique, we can reduce the risk of a, bre a second breast cancer in the other breast quite significantly. This is in, in the research stage, I will say at the moment. Uh, what results we have are looking pretty promising. So what we hope it will turn out to be is a non-invasive approach to reducing breast cancer risk. Non-invasive meaning that uh, you, certainly, you wouldn't have to have a prophylactic uh, mastectomy, but in fact a low dose of radiation might achieve the same goal. So David, what is this new technique called and who exactly might benefit from it? So the technique is called prophylactic mammary irradiation, or PMI, and we're really optimistic that it may be useful in, in a couple of different settings. And the first one is, is for women who are being treated with breast cancer to reduce the risk of a second breast cancer uh, sometime in the future. But second, for younger people who have a genetic predisposition to breast cancer, and the common examples here are, are the BRCA1 and the BRCA2 genes, because if they're damaged, that makes women highly prone to getting breast cancer. At the moment, the only preventative measure for these women is a prophylactic double mastectomy, which of course is a major and extremely traumatic decision for any woman to take. I think we all know the story of uh, Angelina Jolie, who did indeed take that decision. So what we want to do is to offer women with BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutations an alternative to a double mastectomy. Well, thank you, David. That's a very exciting new approach, and we look forward to hearing about how that progresses, perhaps in future episodes of Men in Lead Aprons. Uh, I think now we should take advantage of the presence of Dr. Connolly to address two rather controversial reports that have appeared in the newspapers recently that false positive mammograms may be linked to a higher risk later of breast cancer. Just to be clear, a false positive mammogram, as we talked about in the podcast on mammography, is when the mammogram appears to show a breast cancer, but after further tests, there was actually no cancer, at least not at that time. What the new reports are suggesting, I think, it, that is that even though a breast cancer was ruled out at the time of the mammogram, in fact, a woman that has a false positive mammogram is actually at increased risk of developing a breast cancer at some time in the future. So, Eileen, what is your take on that? It's actually not a very surprising finding from my perspective. It's well known that women who have false positives are more likely to have additional biopsies again in the future. Uh, so it's more of a correlation, not necessarily a cause, meaning that your chances of getting a biopsy increase with breast density and uh, younger age. And both of those correlate with a higher chance potentially to have a breast cancer in the future. And your risk of your potential risk of developing breast cancer is actually greater if you have a history of, of having had a biopsy or having had atypical breast findings, which are typically what they find in these false positives. So 
of course, it's very upsetting for women, but I don't think I would interpret it to mean that they missed a cancer. I would say it's just that you are more likely, you are potentially more likely to go on and be at higher risk for developing breast cancer should you uh, have had a prior biopsy. The other question that we would like you to address, uh, Eileen, is the uh, recent report uh, in newspapers which claims that the early treatment of DCIS leads to a marked reduction later in invasive breast cancer. What is your take on that? Sure. Um, So DCIS is ductal carcinoma in situ. What this means is that you have pre-cancer or uh, pre-malignancy. This is a little bit of a difficult concept to understand, but the way I describe it to patients is that you have to imagine that the cells that they find within the duct are the same as invasive cancer. However, they do not have the ability to cross the basement membrane or invade. So these are abnormal cells, but they're contained, and they exist within the ducts, and they do not have the ability to go elsewhere. However, it is a marker of the potential to develop breast cancer, and it's thought that untreated DCS is likely the individual is likely to develop invasive disease approximately 20 to 50% of the time. So, you know, it does give us some hope that, you know, treating all of these women does have a benefit. However, uh, there's a great deal of controversy about this. So, Eileen, what is your recommendation to uh, a patient that uh, is diagnosed with DCIS on a mammogram? It, again, is somewhat individualized. It depends on the the woman herself, her age, her overall health, as well as the features of the DCIS, uh, meaning how aggressive it appears. In general, though, outside of a prospective observational study, I would recommend that at least uh, surgical excision uh, occur in order to reduce the risk of developing invasive disease. Adding radiation is controversial. I think for younger women, meaning um, less than 70 uh, with high-grade disease, it's I absolutely advocate uh, radiation to reduce local recurrence as well as hormonal therapy because these are the women with the highest risk of going on to develop invasive disease. In a 85-year-old woman with perhaps a number of other comorbid uh, diseases, close observation is not an unreasonable option. It's just really individualized, and you can't take a one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, Thank you, Eileen. And I think your comment about not taking a one-size-fits-all approach is a pretty important comment. I think about 20 years ago, this really wasn't the case, and pretty well everyone with a particular type of breast cancer would get exactly the same treatment. But today this really isn't so, and the very strong trend these days is for every person with cancer to get a treatment that is highly personalized for her or for him. And these days that's called precision medicine. And to me this represents a huge change in the way that cancer is treated, and there's no doubt in my mind that it's going to lead to better cancer cure rates in the future. And my thanks to you too, Eileen for laying out so clearly what are the main options in using radiation therapy to treat breast cancer, and also for explaining so well these recent puzzling reports 
that we've been hearing about mammography, false positives, and so on, as well as the treatment options for DCIS. So that's all we have time for from the men in lead aprons. As always, our aim has been not to tell you what you should do, but rather to give you more information so that you or a loved one can make the best possible decisions. Just a reminder, please rate and review us on iTunes on the Men in Lead Aprons page, or if you have comments and questions, please visit our website, which is crr.columbia.edu. There is a link to Men in Lead Aprons where you can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or email us directly.